what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about area agencies on aging. In other podcasts, I have referred to the area agencies on aging, but I realize that some of you may not be familiar with this incredible resource in your area. So we wanted to make sure you know about this great support. I have with me Bob Cleveland. Bob Bob is the Aging Program Planner at the Piedmont Triad Regional Council Area Agency on Aging in Kernersville, North Carolina. Bob has over 30 years of experience working with older adults and caregivers, having begun his career in a long-term care facility um, just a few years ago. Right, Bob? (laughs) Just a few years ago. As an aging services professional, he has worked for area agencies on aging, both in Illinois and North Carolina. So, Bob, thank you for being here and helping us share this great information. I am happy to be here and and thankful to uh, be a part of this. Uh, Thank you. Okay, so let's kind of start at the beginning. For me, our local area agency on aging, I'm going to give them a shout out. They are typically my first go-to when I need help or when I'm talking with somebody who needs information or support. But I'm always bumping into people who don't know anything about area agency on aging. So how about talking a little about it that we lovingly sometimes refer to as AAA, uh, how about talking some about AAA and how, you know, what are the services and, and how does the organization operate? Certainly. Well, um, area agencies on aging um, are an organization and maybe a nonprofit, a for-profit or local government organization. Um, and that was established in 1973 under the Federal Older Americans Act. Uh, to develop a coordinated community-based system of services, opportunities, and protections to assist older adults in leading independent, meaningful, and dignified lives in their own homes and communities for as long as possible. So it's kind of a mouthful, but basically we are created to uh, provide a streamless service of of supports so that older adults can age uh, independently. Uh, Area agencies on aging, as you said, are also known as AAAs. Um, And no, we're not the auto club. Uh, Some people confuse us for that, but um, uh, no, AAA is area agency on aging. Um, We were formed uh, by dividing each state into geographic regions um, with service areas that uh, might consist of one county like Pennsylvania has, or in some cases over 20 counties. I know several places in Iowa have a large service area. Um, but there are over 650 AAAs in the United States, and they are found in every state. And area agencies are tasked with a variety of functions. Um, they serve as federal, state, and local, pardon me, they serve as administrators of federal, state, and local funding for aging services. They serve as a primary resource for information about aging and caregiver services. They provide quality assurance monitoring of community organizations to ensure funds are spent appropriately and that services are delivered according to uh, established standards. They host educational training for older adults, caregivers, and professionals. They develop a four-year plan on aging for their region. They administer family caregiver support programs and services. They advocate for older adults and caregivers, 
and many AAAs provide evidence-based health promotion and disease prevention classes. Now, most people are unaware that Area Agencies on Aging are the only agency required by federal law to advocate on behalf of older adults and caregivers. For this reason, many area agencies provide or administer the Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program, which provides advocates to respond to complaints of residents living in long-term care facilities. Residents living in these facilities have rights, and the Ombudsman help ensure that those rights are upheld. The Ombudsman are a wonderful resource for family caregivers and are a wealth of information about paying for long-term care, what to look for in a facility, etc., um, now, they're not the police. They're not, the, not going to go in and find a facility, but they are there, as, again, is to be that advocate uh, or the advocate for the person residing in the facility or, again, their caregivers. Uh, hey, Bob, I've, I have seen, like in long-term care facilities, I have seen like sometimes a poster about an ombudsman if there's any question, you know, to contact this person. I did not realize that they were coming through area agencies on aging. Um, yes, they're all um, either housed at an area agency like ours are in North Carolina. Um, but I know, again, I have experience in Illinois where they were contracted out through the area agency on aging. So either way, they're, they're responsible for the ombudsman program. Right, right. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Not at all. Please, please, anytime. Uh, but most AAAs um, are not direct service providers. Um, they work with a network of service providers who deliver the services and supports to the clients. AAAs can be a direct service provider if a service is not offered in their area. However, they must obtain a waiver from their state unit on aging in order to deliver any direct services. AAAs are really meant to be a background organization, and we've always felt it was our role to kind of lift up our funded partners, as we call them, the people that deliver those services. Um, So we provide that administrative support and background. And in terms of staffing, the size of a AAA team usually depends on the population of its service area and whether or not they have contracts for case management or other services. So again, in North Carolina, where, I, where we're currently from, uh, we have some AAAs that are large, like our staff. Um, we have roughly 20 uh, staff here. We have others that are fairly small and are direct service providers, and they do that with a team of, of five people, but they might have a smaller number of counties. So we've always kind of said that when you've seen one area agency, you've seen one area agency because each one does a little bit different depending on the needs of the people in their area. Let me let me ask, let me ask a question. Let me ask a question about that, because when I say that that our local area agency on aging is my typical go to, um, the the person typically the the specific person that I go to is Mary Mitchell, who is our family caregiver support specialist. Is but I get the impression that although there may be somebody who functions in that role in every area agency on aging, that that, that, that particular title may not be consistent from, from agency to agency. Is that correct? That they may be called, that somebody may function in that role of helping somebody, um, helping a, a family or a caregiver know how to care for somebody, but, but that title may not be family caregiver support specialist. Is that correct? That's correct. Generally, um, you do see that title, but they might go by another name like an aging service specialist. Um, uh, I go by the role of aging program planner, although I do work with caregivers, um, but we do have a family caregiver specialist here. And I'll talk a little bit more about that further down the road when we talk. Um, But um, just to finish this question out, um, you know, this covers a lot of what area agencies do, but not everything. Um, AAAs are always keeping their finger on the pulse of what's happening in their communities, um, and they respond with programming and or services. Um, And this happens with the assistance of an advisory council, which is comprised of members from their communities interested in aging and caregiver issues. Uh, Every area agency is required uh, to have an advisory council. 
Um, and so many area agencies are involved in initiatives also that deal with housing, transportation, opioid addiction, COVID education and vaccinations, and or contracting with healthcare in order to expand services and improve health outcomes. So that's, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of area agencies on aging. That's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's a whole lot that you all do. No wonder you're my go-to. Yeah, something you can't really fit into an elevator speech. That's right. That's right. That's for sure. Okay, let me let me back up just a, just a moment though. Um, my understanding is that literally wherever you live in the United States, you would have an area agency on aging that would be serving your community. Is that correct? Okay. Okay. So anybody would be able to go online probably the, the easiest if you don't if somebody didn't know, you know how to get in touch with their area agency on aging or where they're located or any of that they could simply go online and do a google search you know area agency on aging in abc community and such and such a state and find it right well actually i think a, a better way to do that um if you need to find your local area agency um, you can do a Google search for elder care locator, um, or you can call the elder care locator helpline, and that's a 1-800-677-1116. And that helpline is available Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, um, and it's offered through the Administration for Community Living, which is the federal agency that oversees the, the aging and uh, caregiver programs. Um, and again, this this uh, service is intended to help people locate caregiver and older adult services. Uh, also on their website, they offer a search function for people looking to locate service in their community. So as you said, you go to that site, and then on the site, you can type in your zip code, your uh, county, city, and they'll list all the different services that are available and Again, I always recommend that people call the area agency on aging first, um, and then we will get you to the right place. Perfect, perfect. And uh, let me come back also, at the very beginning, I think I heard you say that area agencies on aging may be for-profit, non-profit, or governmental connected. Did That's I, correct. Is there a difference? Is there a difference in the services or any difference in, in those? Yeah, generally, I mean, obviously just how the organization is, is made up, you know, where a nonprofit typically does more grant work where they might, you know, go after other grants for, to support their services um, or maybe new initiatives. Um, you might have, uh, some states have their area agencies housed within a council of government um, we have that system here in North Carolina. I know Colorado and possibly even Alabama, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, um, also have councils of government. So they're part of what we call local government services. We're not a state or gover federal government agency, um, but we're considered a, a what we call a quasi governmental organization. Um, and then you have like one in Washington D.C. Um, and one in the city of Chicago proper that are their own city government offices of aging under the area agency on aging. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I guess because I am in North Carolina that I just assumed that, that all of the area agencies on aging were exactly as we do it. Right. So, nope. Not at all. Good to know. Good to know. Okay, you've talked about a lot of services for sure. Are there any other services that people might want to know about or need to know about? Well, certainly, um, we want to talk a little bit about the family caregiver services because people may come across them, but they may not know about the array of different services, again, funded through the Older Americans Act. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, I mentioned the Older Americans Act earlier um, in the podcast. Um, the Older Americans Act was written into law in 1965, and it's supposed to be reauthorized every five years. And in the year 2000 was a landmark year. Congress 
reauthorized the Older Americans Act to include and establish the National Family Caregiver Support Program. Uh, and that legislation provides funding for services to support unpaid family caregivers in their caregiving role. The legislation also designates the caregiver as the client, not the individual receiving care, which was a big switch from the, the Older Americans Act 4, where we always said the older adult is the client. Well, in this case, it's the caregiver is the client. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the AAAs often, almost always employ a family caregiver specialist who can assist, who can assist caregivers uh, with their questions and information needed. So some of the family caregiver services are, of course, information assistance. Um, pretty straightforward, but, you know, people should call their area agency when they have questions about services for caregivers or they might need legal information about wills, powers of attorney, trusts, many of the things that caregivers run into in terms of the legal issues. Um, so the next thing they offer is education and training. Uh, many caregivers take on the caregiving role without any information or training, which is which is really unfortunate. Uh, I think that's probably get, most. <laughs> yes, they, they kind of get thrust into that role and. Um, uh, they take that role on without really any information. Um, so the problem with that is caregivers can quickly become overwhelmed when they don't know how to deal with taking on bathing or transferring their loved one from a wheelchair to a bed or the issues that result from a loved one living with any form of dementia. So there's a lot of challenges that take place. And there are a number of education and caregiver training programs one of the one that's become very um, uh, prominent is a program called Powerful Tools for Caregiving. Um, this is an evidence-based program. Um, I have never taught it and was never trained to teach it myself, but I believe it's a, a six, six or eight week program where each week they bring caregivers together and they talk about different issues. They talk about the legal issues. They talk about safety and transferring. Um, they just talk about a lot of things, and overwhelmingly over the years, I've had so many people say that is such a wonderful series of classes. Um, they say, don't skip a one, <laughs> um, but they're really, um, uh, again, just tremendously educational um, and tell, tell caregivers things that they really didn't know. Um, beyond powerful tools for caregiving, though, there are other uh, educational classes. Um, Many of the agencies that receive funding for caregiver services also offer um, monthly educational offerings just on different topics, and they rotate those. Um, again, trying to keep educate, uh, excuse me, trying to keep caregivers educated about the uh, different offerings, different services, and supports. Respite care um, is another uh, service that's provided by the Family Caregiver Program. Um, and respite is just short-term relief so that caregivers can get a break and then resume their caregiving role. Um, it's not meant to replace the ongoing service. Um, so there's in-home respite, such as an aide coming in to provide care or supervision. Uh, institutional respite, where a loved one would go maybe to, for a short-term facility stay so that the caregiver can be away for a few days. Um, my grandfather had uh, Alzheimer's and my father and mother were the primary caregivers. And my dad wanted to go see his brother uh, who lived in another state, but he was like, well, I can't go because I can't leave grandpa. And so um, fortunately I worked at the area agency and I said, you know what? We can actually pay for a week stay in a facility so that you can go spend time with your brother and uh, come back and he comes out of the facility and you resume your caregiving. Um, and so they did that. And typically the caregiver can get respite services um, in many cases up to $500, sometimes a little bit more than that per year, um, whether it's a, a week long thing or whether it's just every few days or every once in a while. Um, so respite care is really important. It's very important for caregivers to take a break, a chance chance to get away, refresh, um, step away, um, and then step back into that caregiving role. 
Absolutely. It is so important. And, and I know you and, and everybody else talks about how important it is for caregivers to take care of themselves. Sort of that, that analogy of, of the oxygen mask on the airplane, put it on yourself first kind of thing. And, and that's so hard to do. And so often caregivers get to a point of just being exhausted before they can take a break. And so to know that that area agencies on aging can support that, can help with that. So is a week kind of the time of that or is it or does it just does it depend on the on the situation? It, yeah, it really depends. It's situational. So someone might say, hey, I, I want to go shopping and I need a caregiver to come in and, and be here for two hours while I go shopping. Um, it's, it's, um, somebody who might take their loved one to adult daycare again, so they can have, maybe they're up all night and they need to just sleep. Um, so it doesn't, the reason, um, doesn't really matter why that caregiver needs respite. It's more about what do they need and, and how much of the funding is available to support that. Um, so yeah, that's really important. And, and I do want to address something I was going to mention it a little bit later, but, um, you and I had spoken at one point about, you know, caregivers in general and, and information that they know or don't know. And, um, but again, over the years, uh, talking to so many caregivers, I tell them that, you know, my number one rule for caregivers is your first priority is to take care of yourself. And many caregivers don't identify with that because they think their primary role is to care for their loved ones. And I will tell you that I've experienced it personally and professionally that caregivers' overall health can decline much faster than the person they're caring for if they don't take care of themselves and avail themselves of respite services and information. So if you don't take care of you, who's going to take care of them? I, I want to put an exclamation point and a period at the end of that uh, to absolutely affirm that. Um, but having walked in those shoes just as you have, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say, but I have to take care of myself. But exactly what you said. Okay. So if you don't and you get get sick or something happens to you, which is often the case. I know personally, the caregiver who got very sick or even passed um, before the care recipient did, the loved one did, um, because I was just so exhausted. So, so I absolutely want to underscore what you just said, Bob. Yeah, it, it is extremely important, and um, caregivers need to give themselves permission to take care of themselves. Um, because again, just saying that if they can't, if they can't take care of themselves, they won't be able to take care of their loved one. So, very, very important. Uh, the one last service I want to talk about under family caregiver services, we talked about information and assistance, education and training, respite care, and finally, what we call supplemental services. And these services provide for a wide range of needs. Um, this might be for some in-home care, uh, paying for nutritional supplements like Insure. Some of that stuff gets really expensive, so some of the family caregiver dollars pay for things like that. Uh, paying for incontinent supplies, another thing that people can go through a lot and it, it can get very costly. So uh, the caregiver program can help pay for some of that. Um, things like minor home repairs or the building of a ramp so they can get their loved one in and out of the house. Um, again, paying for maybe some legal service to have some documents drawn up. Um, and again, services for grandparents raising grandchildren. So the supplemental services are kind of a catch-all, but they're really looking at um, what are the services that a caregiver needs. And the, the great thing that I think happened in the Old Americans Act, they really left this family caregiver program with a lot of flexibility. Um, so they didn't want to be too prescriptive in the way they wrote it and the way that programs and services are delivered. Um, I would say even as compared to the services for older adults. That, that all of those programs are so good and so important. Um, and it's not that someone has to take advantage of all of them or every year. It's just that they are there 
needed. You know, and, and I'm listening to all of this and remembering when my mother was taking care of her mother. Now, this was back in the 80s um, in a tiny, tiny town in Alabama. And it was a very difficult situation because my grandmother was bedridden. And this was before, you know, before Internet, before email and down virtually no resources or supports at all. And I'm listening to all of this and thinking, oh, what a difference it would have made had mom been able to access any of those, much less several of them. Right, right. And it's it's one thing that um, even in terms of caregiving, a lot of caregivers don't identify as a caregiver. I'm, I'm a spouse. I'm caregiving. I'm. I love my husband. I promise till death do us part. I'm gonna. I'm gonna care for them. Or I'm a son or a daughter, and my mom and my mom changed my diapers. I'm gonna change hers. You know, or any of that stuff. But they don't think of themselves as a caregiver. And again, when in this sense, where we're talking about caregivers, we're talking about those unpaid family caregivers. Those people who are supporting and doing whatever is needed. And, and you know, it's interesting that you make that point. Bob, because that is part of why the name ACAB, Adult Children of Aging Parents, does not say adult children uh, caregivers or adult child caregivers or caregiver. Uh, caregiver is not in the name. It's adult children of aging parents because so many don't identify as caregivers and so many of the activities uh, people don't identify as caregiving activity. So, yeah. So we all are, whether we, whether we identify or not, when we are making sure that uh, mom and dad or spouse or sibling or even a friend or neighbor or partner, um, you know, when, when we are making sure they have what they need um, in, in a very, uh, in a, I guess, a very detailed definition of the word, we are a caregiver. We are making sure that that person has the care that they need. So we are giving that. We are a caregiver. Absolutely. And I, and I would say the best care in most cases is provided by a multitude of people for that one person. Um, you know, that it shouldn't all fall to one person. And, you know, even though, you know, you have uh uh, maybe come from a large family. It typically almost always falls on one, maybe two people. Um, so I love what uh, some churches have done is set up some care teams where they have one person, they love doing outside work and gardening. So when they are assigned to that, that person who had nice gardens, but they can't keep them up anymore, they go in and do that. We have another person who, for some reason, enjoys housework. <laughs> So they go in and do the dishes and the vacuuming. And we have another person that just enjoys community, just enjoys that fellowship with that person. So they're going to go sit with the person. But each one kind of has a little bit different role. And I love that approach uh, of saying that it takes a little bit of this person, a little bit of that person to kind of meet some of the needs of this individual. And so the other thing I would say to caregivers is um, – don't do it alone. Um, get help, get assistance, get a support system around you. And that support system may or may not be your other family. It might be the neighbor who takes in their mail and is looking in on them every day. Um, it might be a former coworker. Um, it could be, you know, anybody else in the community. So, you know, when you're thinking about that, think about who your allies are and who can come around uh, you in supporting your loved one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yes. The, there needs to be a point person. And often that is going to be an adult child. Um, sometimes, as you say, sometimes siblings and, uh, you know, all of them become a team and they do different things. I have a good friend whose mother had lung cancer and subsequently died of lung cancer. But there were four, four children in the family, and each of them had their different role, exactly what you just said. But, but often that's not how it works out for a variety of reasons. Um, but whether you are living next door or whether you're living across the country, absolutely having a 
team of people who are taking care of the myriad activities that that have to that have to be done um, it, it is extremely important and extremely helpful yeah so so pick that team um, identify that team and those people um, as early as possible to get involved yeah yeah okay so um, we've talked a little about aging network. How about talking about what what that is? Sure. Um, aging network is fairly simple. It's just uh, the network from the federal government on down to the local level. So at the federal level, we have the Administration for Community Living, which is where the funding and the services start. Uh, those dollars then come down to the state level, and you have a state unit on aging. Uh, every state has one, just like every state has area agencies on aging. And from the area agencies then, excuse me, from the state unit on aging then, they give money then to the area agency on aging for services in their region. And typically those services, the dollars that come out are almost always divided by a funding formula. And they put in weights and measures depending on the population, older adult population, frail, uh, poverty, et cetera. Um, and so then area agencies then work with our local networks of service providers um, who provide the actual services, things like meals, transportation, in-home aid, adult daycare, senior centers, uh, and of course, then the family caregiver services. But that's considered this network from the federal government on down um, to be in partnership together. And are those decisions about dollars that go to a, a particular area, is that based on the census? Largely, yes. Um, that's, a, that's a big chunk of that funding formula, a big percentage. Uh, because they want the dollars to go where the people are. Right, right. So there really is a partnership from local to state to federal. Um, and And... Not necessarily would families need to know a lot of those details, but just to be aware that this is not just dependent on local local resources. That there, there are that there are lots of lots of people involved with this, and and part of that I I think really is coming from the acknowledgement that our population is aging, growing, and aging. And that that makes a big difference in terms of what needs to be in place. Certainly. And, you know, the nice thing, too, as you just said, is you, you also have people at different levels looking at aging services. So from a federal level, you talk about that, you know, 35,000 foot view. Then at the local, uh, the uh, state level, local level. So, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we're doing a four year plan on aging. So we're looking at what trends are going on, what services are, are being offered, what new things do we need to be doing because of maybe um, different needs that we're seeing now versus 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, all that planning is going on together. Well, and it's interesting because I can remember when, when I first started ACAP 10, 12 years ago, that nobody at that point, or, or relatively no one at that point, was talking about the caregiver, about the adult child. And it's been interesting in the last 10 years to see how many more organizations now are really looking at the adult child or the caregiver um, and trying to come alongside and to provide the support. So, so yeah, the reality is, as our Baby, as we baby boomers are aging, and there are more and more of us, then services need to shift also. Um, but but that brings up a, an interesting thought. I talk a lot when I'm doing presentations and, and in conversations. I talk a lot about the shift or the shift of the caregiver landscape meaning that there have been so many changes, exactly what you just said, there have been so many changes in the last, you know, certainly 20 to 30 years. Um, but what trends are you seeing? You, you sit at a very different place than I do. What trends are you seeing uh, with caregiving and, and what's happening with our older population and caring for the older population? 
Absolutely. And I, I came up with three um, trends that I, I think are, are happening right now. And the first one you've kind of already alluded to is that, you know, we're seeing fewer family caregivers. Um, now, actually, the numbers of caregivers are growing, but that's just because we have a growing older adult population. But for example, in my generation, everyone had bigger families. I'm one of seven kids. Um, however, of a seven, um, I have three nephews and a niece. So, you know, right now in our country, we're not replacing the population. And so, that, of course, that means that it's a big change in our demographic. Fewer babies born means fewer potential caregivers. So that's a, that's a big trend we're seeing right now. Um, and that's not something we're going to reverse in the new, very near future. And has huge implications for us as we age. Yeah, I, I think the latest thing that I saw from AARP is that something like in 20, 2020, was it, or maybe 2010, that the estimate was that there were seven caregivers, unpaid caregivers, per uh, senior adults, older adult. But by 2050, there will be three. And I'm like, I'm kind of doing the math and thinking, and at what age will I be at 2050? And oh my, I need to be putting this in place because, yeah, I I I have wonderful family, wonderful stepchildren and grandchildren, but you know, yeah, that that's a whole different ballgame. And they don't live; they live the closest live like an hour and a half, two hours away from me. So. Yeah, the, um, the the car was probably the worst invention for caregiving <laughs> because people moved. You know, you, you think of, I, I think back of the days of watching the Waltons on TV. And you had three generations in one family and uh, people didn't generally move very far. Um, but now with the invention of the car, you know, I, I look at, as I mentioned, I'm one of seven. I'm the only one here in North Carolina. Um, I have a brother in Chicago. I have a sister in the Quad Cities of Illinois, and the rest of my family is in uh, Illinois. And my sister lives right next door to my parents, who are in their 80s and is doing the bulk of the caregiving. Um, but because we're so mobile, we've seen a lot of people. And again, even people that I've met here in North Carolina that moved here because their son or daughter lived here and they wanted to be closer to them. And then they got up and transferred. So they're still here, but family moved away. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a big shift that we're seeing in this, this caregiving uh, force, as, a, as it were. Um, but the other trend that is, is, you know, perhaps even more concerning is the direct care workforce shortage. Um, it's really a disturbing trend that's been taking place long before the pandemic happened. Hospitals, nursing homes, in-home care agencies are all looking to hire aides. Um, as most people know, aides provide for much of the physical care needs for older adults who cannot care for themselves. And lack of these paid aides means lack of respite care options. So when you need a break, who can you turn to if there, we don't have aides that can come and provide a couple hours of, of respite? It's also concerning as to where older adults can turn to assistance uh, if they don't have family caregivers and they need to hire direct care workforce. So because of this, um, I'm thinking that we may see a rise in small groups of non-related people living together and kind of in a symbiotic relationship and providing care for each other as they have needs. So maybe one person is the cook and the other person can drive, but the other two can't. And um, something like what I would call the golden girls concept. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where, um, yeah, and so I think our caregiver may caregiving may change to where it's older adults caring for each other, and, and it's not going to happen in every instance. But um, I, I do think we're going to see a rise in that as we see a lack of paid and unpaid caregivers available to people. Yeah, and you know when we, if you really look at the at the Golden Girls and really watch that program, there are some wonderful, um, it, it's a wonderful model, you know, now certainly that's, you know, 30 minute clips and, you know, every problem is solved within 30 minutes and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it really is a wonderful model for how to, how to age. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and again, you think about the socialization that comes with that as well, and we all know. Um, I think that's one of the things the pandemic did for us is really bring attention to the plight of older adults who are socially isolated and how that significantly impacted in a negative way their health. Um, and so, you know, it's good for that reason, but also just in a sense of the care needs if they don't have family, like I, my wife and I don't have children, you know, that's a concern down the road, who's going to provide our care. So the thought is, you know, maybe we might open our house to one or two people to, you know, take a bedroom and we live together and share in the, the needs and, you know, maybe um, somebody again cuts the grass and another person, you know, does the, the food prep and somebody else is the transporter and, you know, whatever else, you know, and helping people with physical needs as well. Um, uh, again, that's going to take maybe even some legal work to hash out agreements and who does what and, uh, you know, so that it's not an undue burden on one or the other. Right, right. I, I, I knew a woman, an older woman, this was some years ago. She was an attorney and she was aging and she knew that the time would come that she need to do something different. And she had gotten to know this young couple and knew them well and really trusted them. And I remember her telling me that she went to them one day and said, let's talk that if they would agree to care for her when she was older, that she, I think, would build a house. I, I think it was not the house where she was living, but would build a house that would be set up so that they would have their own wing um, and live completely independently, you know, that they would get together when they wanted to or might enjoy spending time together. But that she that that her agreement with them was that when she and she passed, that they would get the house, you know, that that was part of their payment for what they were agreeing to do for her. And she was delighted. And the young couple was delighted with the, with the arrangement. So, yeah, there are all kinds of combinations. Right. And we're seeing um you know, too, we are seeing more people have their loved ones move in with them. And that's been that's been happening over the years. But, you know, the one thing that I think our housing market has to adjust to is building more homes that are what I might call more like a ranch style, where you walk in with no steps, wider door frames, uh, building with universal design concepts um, so that you don't have to worry about going upstairs and uh, having to having you know roll in showers so somebody can roll into the versus having a step over a, a tub wall um, and some of those issues and again we didn't even talk about caregivers as much as far as um, uh, you know adapting their homes remodeling homes and there's a lot of expense often paid for that so lastly Real quickly, I want to go to the third trend that we're seeing is an increase in the number of calls from family caregivers asking uh, how they can be paid to take care of their parent. Um, many caregivers feel the need to leave the work environment in order to take care of their older adult. Um, and we receive many calls from people who say they know someone's getting paid to take care of their loved one. How can they do that? Um, now, that may be due to the loved one that they know um, is receiving services through a Medicaid waiver program. That's a federal program um, that does allow people to choose their caregiver. Again, they have to have the mental capacity to be able to do so. Um, but again, that allows people younger than 60 who have a disability um, to allow someone to work for them. Um, but again, for the aging program, that's not that's not really been allowed to for someone 60 year older to hire someone they want or pay their son or daughter. Now, again, if they have the funds to do that privately, um, yes, absolutely, they can do that. But there's not another program out there. North Carolina is, they're, they're looking at it. Um, there's a program called Home Care Independence. And in our area of the state, we're actually trying this out through ARPA dollars to see how this works and if um, we can maybe take the load off some of the in-home aid agencies by allowing people to pay their own caregiver. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to to watch what happens in the future. It, you know, kind of as this converges, this, this um, fewer family members to care for people and 
fewer uh, fewer professional caregivers to provide the care, and how do we incentivize people to do that? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to watch. This is all really good information. So, and all of this goes back to area agency on aging. All of it goes back to what what our area agencies on what our AAAs do. How can people access? How can they? How can people find their area agency on aging? We've talked about that a little bit, um, but let's make sure that everybody knows how to find their local. Absolutely. And again, I think the best way, because, you know, again, we're dealing with a national broadcast, um, is to use that elder care locator that we talked about before. Um, if you just do a Google search, elder care locator, um, you go online and you can type in your information and it'll plunk it right down to the local area where your services are. Um, and they'll give you contact information, websites, emails, all that information. Um okay. And so that's 20, that's 24 hours a day. They can get that. They can access that information anytime. Okay. Yeah. And that website does also have a chat function too, if people want to ask questions. Um, but again, I, I would say reserve those questions probably more for your local level um, because they're going to know what's available in their area. Um, and again, they can call the elder care, excuse me, elder care locator helpline. Um, and that number again is one 800 677 1116. Um, and that helpline again is available Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And and anybody, whether whether the person is the caregiver or a family member or the older adult himself or herself, anybody can can um, get the information from Elder Care Locator. Valuable to anybody. Yeah. Bob, this is such good information. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that that we need to be sure people know about? Well, I think, you know, caregivers, as, as we said before, caregivers need to take care of themselves. That's, that's number one. Um, and again, so many caregivers just don't do that. Um, and we've seen their health decline to the point where they end up in the hospital or, um, you know, or worse. <laughs> Um, so that, that's one of the key things. Um, the other key thing I think that for, uh, caregivers is again, um, never promise that you won't put your loved one in a facility. Um, I've seen so many people, um, promise, Oh mom, I'm, I'm not going to put you in a facility. I won't do that to you. Um, but you can't make that promise. Um, and I, I, Tell people never, ever, 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 and a few more evers after that, <laughs> promise that you won't put your loved one. You know, make the promise that you will love them and you will provide the best care that you possibly can for them. Um, but don't tell them that you won't put them in a facility because at some future point, when their care needs exceed your ability to provide proper and safe care, you may need to place them in a facility that can provide that proper care and supervision. Um, for their care, for their safety, as well as for the caregiver. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's where that love comes in, is you want the best for them. And your ultimate best may not be what's best for them. Um, so we do see a number of caregivers who, you know, get really grief-stricken and filled with angst because they felt so guilty that... I promised my my mom, I promised my wife, I promised, you know, whoever, I wouldn't put them in a facility. And for your sanity, I really encourage people, do not ever make that promise that you won't do that. Um, uh, some people, you know, make it to the end and never have to do that. And that's great. Um, and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of nursing facilities have been bashed over the years for, you know, lack of a lack of good care. Um, what I tell people is how to determine how your loved one gets good care in a facility is honestly um, how often you visit. And when I, you don't have to be there every day, but one time you go in the morning, the next time you go at noon, next time in the evening, you at different times so that they never know when you're going to show up. And I guarantee you that gets more care. It's not about how much money someone has or if they're paying privately or if they're on Medicaid. 
Um, again, I worked in a facility for seven years. I've seen it. Um, the people who got better care are the ones that had visitors. Um, and again, it doesn't always have to be the caregiver. They can arrange, you know, get other people visiting. Um, and the, the people in the facility notice that. So again, uh, just really encourage people to um, access resources, uh, get help when they need it, um, and, and get informed. Um, again, start calling your area agency, finding out what services they have in the area, what they can offer you, um, because uh, it's going to be unique to each area. Some similarities, but again, unique to each area. That is such important information. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much for sharing the incredible work that area agencies on aging do and, and the support that they can provide for the older adult, for the loved one, as well as for the, uh, the caregiver or, or the person who is caring, cares about the, uh, the older adult. So thank you for all, all of it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and again, remember that wherever you live, um, there is an area agency, of, uh, area agency on aging that serves your area. So feel free. Please do check that out. Um, we want to, I thank Bob. I thank you, Bob. I also want to thank you, our listeners. We hope this podcast has been helpful and that you will share it with others you believe may benefit. We also absolutely want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, our sponsor for this podcast and all of our podcasts. We are indeed grateful for their support. This program is part of the, Nesh, the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts, so there are lots more podcasts that, that we have. You may find more of our Caregiver Community podcasts on all of our platforms where you listen to podcasts, and you can also find our podcast on our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you would like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, our background, our education, career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one, who needs help, caring for and advocating for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.